0: Moscow, May 1st, 1930. Crowds jammed the streets of the Soviet capital for May Day. Red Army soldiers, housewives, workers, young pioneers. For seven hours, they marched in triple columns down cobbled streets to Red Square, with brass bands and patriotic banners. A million workers, maybe more, marching on International Workers' Day in a new country the Soviet Union, founded by workers, for workers, in theory. Among the marchers that day were the men and women of the first state watch factory, including 38-year-old Louis Ryman of Canton. The watchmakers had marched two miles from their under-construction factory to the reviewing stand where Joseph Stalin and other Soviet leaders watched the parade. Ryman's letter home after the spectacle vibrated with energy. The paper said two million men marched, and I was one of them, with a little band of red around my arm. The parade showed the spirit the people have for the government. Everybody was out. Those who didn't march were out watching and cheering. Lewis Ryman. A few months earlier, Ryman had been a foreman at Canton's failed Duberhampton Watch Company. Now he was thousands of miles from home with other Duberhampton watchmakers to teach the Soviets how to make their own timepieces. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast that explores the 200-year-old archive of the Canton Repository. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. It's a most unlikely story, In late 1929, workers packed up a Canton factory and shipped it to the Soviet Union. But the Duberhampton Watch Company wasn't just any business. It was one of Canton's bedrock firms. And its machines weren't just going overseas. They were going to the world's first communist country. And they weren't going alone. About 34 Canton workers and their family members followed the machines and tools to Moscow. They would be eyewitnesses to the Soviet Union's desperate and disastrous attempt to industrialize in the late 1920s and 30s. Part 1. The Duberhampton Story Duberhampton once loomed over Canton and its economy. Its two massive brick factory buildings... Covered more than 20 acres on Duber Avenue, between Tusk and
1: Sixth Street Southwest. Well, they were huge, and they were state-of-the-art architecture for the time. That's Richard Haldy. He gives lectures on Duberhampton's history. They were long, tall, and narrow. It was the largest complete watch factory in the world. The Northern Duber factory made watch cases. The
0: Southern Hampton factory made the gears and screws and springs, the timekeeping guts that brought the watches to life. Smokestacks and an
1: ornate 150-foot clock tower soared over the city skyline. My father My father was born in 06, and he can remember as a kid taking the trolley from Public Square going out towards Myers Lake, and in the evening it looked just magical, these thousands of windows illuminated at night, because they worked 24-7. And that clock tower, by the way, when it was built, was the highest point spot in Stark County, and it had a staircase that people on Sundays could go up and view out over the city. The buildings aren't
0: there anymore. They were torn down in the late 1950s and early 1960s to make way for Interstate 77 and a discount department store, now occupied by Trinity Gospel Temple. But like Timken's bearings and Diebold's safes, Duberhampton's pocket watches helped to build Canton. John C. Duber brought the Duber Watch Case Works from Newport, Kentucky and the Hampton Watch Company from Springfield, Massachusetts to Canton in the late 1880s after Canton Boosters raised $100,000 and gave Duber some land. The influx of watchmakers and their families was one of the reasons the city's population doubled to 26,000 between 1880 and 1890. At their peak in 1907, the two factories employed 3,000 workers. But John C. Duber died the same year, and his companies began to falter. Haldy says it was a combination of management decisions, circumstances, and a failure to recognize the growing popularity of the wristwatch, until it was too late. The separate Duber and Hampton operations combined in 1923... As the Duberhampton Company. A group of Cleveland investors bought the company two years later, but it fell into financial trouble and receivership. Amtorg Trading Company came calling in 1929. Amtorg, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the entire Russian name, represented the Soviet Union's trade interests in the United States. At the time, the two countries didn't recognize each other diplomatically but they found ways to do business. Amtorg bought Duberhampton's watchmaking machines for $325,000, loaded them onto 28 train cars, and shipped them off to Russia. The Soviets also bought unused materials. The two deals combined approached half a million dollars, Haldy says. For the Soviets, it was money well spent. They were caught up in Stalin's first five-year plan, which called for rapid industrialization. Part of the plan was for the Soviets to make their own clocks and watches, but they lacked skilled workers. It was their own fault. The Soviets had spent years harassing and arresting engineers and technicians, so-called bourgeois specialists. Without them there would be no industrial revolution. So as workers boxed up Duberhampton's machines, Amtorg offered contracts to some of the company's key workers to get them to set up the first state watch factory. The average deal paid $4,650 a year, almost $70,000 in today's currency. Most of the money was paid in dollars to bank accounts in Canton. The workers got the rest in rubles, Amtorg also gave the Canton workers $300 to cover their travel and promised comfortable homes in Moscow. Russian workers shared apartments or lived in barracks, but the Canton watchmakers had their own apartments with velvet curtains and gas stoves. Not that the Americans would have to use the stoves. The Soviets gave them cooks and a man to buy their groceries, too.
1: If there is anything more that can be done to make our stay here more comfortable than it is, I couldn't tell you what it could be. We have everything we require for our comfort. John C. Miller, Duber Hampton Superintendent.
0: After weeks of preparation and goodbyes, the Cantonians sailed from New York City on the RMS Aquitania on March 1, 1930. It was, the papers said, the greatest adventure of their lives. Among those on the trip were Superintendent Miller, who started working at Duberhampton when he was 15 years old and was now a man in his 50s. There was screw department foreman Louis Ryman. There was Sue Killen, the only female watchmaker to make the trip. And there was master mechanic William H. Gutenberger, whose incredible scrapbook recorded the trip. After sightseeing in Western Europe, The travelers arrived in Moscow three weeks after leaving the United States. A band met them at the train depot. Part 2. When we come back. Part 2. A Hole in the Ground. There was no first state watch factory in Moscow. It was just a hole in the ground. The building that was supposed to house the 1500 Duberhampton machines was being used for something else, and the government had decided to build a new factory from scratch. What's more, the Russian engineer who came to Canton to plan the machinery layout for the factory in Moscow, deserted on the return trip and stayed in Germany. With no factory, The Canton workers didn't have much to do. They attended banquets and visited tourist sites. Like the Tsar's palace, which was dripping in diamonds, jade, amber, ivory, and gold. They played bridge and tried to teach the Russian cooks to make American meals. They missed favorite foods from home. Boy, what I'd give for a Limburger sandwich and a cup of good coffee. They don't have Limburger here and no good coffee anywhere in Europe. Lewis Ryman. But mostly, the workers waited. I haven't done anything this week but sit around here and read. It is so cold here, I can't go outside, and it is so hard to walk over the rough sidewalks. The boys go out and wander around the city. The language is absolutely impossible to learn, and when you can't talk to anyone, it is hard to get around. I have been waiting all week for someone to take me to a bank to get some checks cashed. I couldn't possibly find it myself. Sue killer. Moscow, a city of millions, was backward and progressive at the same time. Slays were still the primary means of travel. peasant skinned bears and other animals in the streets. At the same time, women constructed buildings, dug ditches, ran streetcars,
1: and served as police. You can imagine it was like going to the moon almost back then for a group of Cantonians to be invited and then fated by the Soviets in Moscow. It was a fascinating experience.
0: Whether the Canton workers understood it or not, Russian society was undergoing profound and at times violent change. The Soviet Union was in the second year of Stalin's first five-year plan. Moscow's population swelled from 2.2 million to 3.7 million between 1929 and 1932, as peasants left the countryside. But the Soviets still needed to recruit skilled bricklayers, mechanics, surveyors, architects and engineers from Germany and the United States, where workers facing the Great Depression were eager for jobs. first state watch factory was finally ready to make watches around November 1930.
1: Seldom have we seen, even in America, things go up with such speed as here. That five-year plan sure does mean something here, John C. Miller.
0: Several other Canton workers expressed admiration for the Soviet system, too.
1: A working man has everything to gain and nothing to lose. He is sure he will be taken care of, he and his family
0: when he is no longer able to work.
1: Russia will be a wonderful country, and just what little we have seen so far makes us feel they will do so. Albert and Jeanette Schatz.
0: But the five-year plan was unrealistic and disorganized. By the summer of 1930, the economy was already short on raw materials, labor, and money. Stalin's farm policies forced peasants from the countryside and led to a famine that killed as many as 8 million people most of them Ukrainians. In his scrapbook, William Gutenberger recalled the time he and his friend Charles Hammer went to a Moscow train depot at midnight. Hundreds of Russian peasants crowded the floor and benches. Families with half a dozen children huddled in bunches. A terrible sight,
1: never to be forgotten with us. Poverty and rags. William Gutenberger. Part 3, When We Come Back.
0: Part three. Home sweet home Most of the Duberhampton workers returned to Canton after a year. The rest came home a few months later. It was good they left when they did. Other foreign experts, architects, surveyors, and mechanics who were crucial to Stalin's industrial goals, found it difficult or impossible to leave the country. Some later died in purges and accused of being spies. When Gutenberger's job was finished at the First State Watch Factory, the workers in his section gave him an album with their photographs and signed a letter praising Comrade Gutenberger for sharing his knowledge and experience.
1: The five-year plan of our industry called for the construction of the Watch Factory in Moscow.
0: This part of the five-year plan has been carried out during the last year and a half
1: by cooperating with the American specialists and especially with you, Comrade Gutenberg. During your stay in USSR, you undoubtedly realize that all our aims and wishes have no
0: other ultimate goal but to create better life for mankind on the earth, for which purpose our five-year plan is serving we are sure that on your arrival to USA, you will try to relate to the American workers the whole truth about USSR, about our life, our work, our aims, and to reveal the lies about USSR spread by our enemies. There's no newspaper account of Gutenberger speaking publicly about his time in Moscow. But he preserved his thoughts in his scrapbook which is now at the McKinley Presidential Library and Museum.
1: Save the world, so they think, and are very serious about it. Even now the common people probably don't understand why we oppose the government plans in their ignorance about how well off we are. They are sorry for us. We were asked by several Russians when our women will get freedom like they have here. William Gutenberger.
0: Other Duberhampton workers were more eager to talk about life in the Soviet Union. Miller, who had been elected vice president of the Moscow factory, told the American Legion that Stalin's five-year plan was certain to succeed. He reported that social, economic, and political conditions in Russia were better under the Soviets than under the Tsar. Collins Wilcox, a department foreman, was even more enthusiastic. The Russians were well-clothed, well-fed, comfortably lodged, and led happy, healthy, and progressive lives, he told the repository. There was no religious persecution, and a 16-year-old girl was safe on the streets of Moscow at any time of the day or night, he said. Life in the Soviet Union grew bleaker after the Canton workers returned home. Before the 1930s ended, Millions had been killed or imprisoned in gulags as fear and paranoia gripped the country. The catastrophe of World War II followed. How many of the workers in Gutenberger's picture album perished? Some of the Canton workers tried to correspond with their Russian counterparts. But the Soviet authorities censored and ultimately stopped the letters. In his scrapbook, Gutenberger recalled his visit to a grand hall in Moscow that had been converted into a courtroom.
1: This is where they convicted many would-be traitors while we were there. Then as now, they all pleaded guilty, William Gutenberger.
0: Thank you for listening to Tales from the Rep Morgue. And special thanks to our voice talent for this episode. Joe Scalzo Chris Bevan Jessica Holbrook Ed Belent Allison Mattis Tim Bodus, and Derek Hoover. Our theme music is Blind by Midon. Other songs heard in this episode included The Socialist March Cobweb Morning" by Kai Engel Serial Killer By John Bartman Sleepwalker 5 by Sergei Karamizinov Rhythmic Pulse and Trees in the Wind by Daniel Birch The Internationale and Chalet by Maidan. You can find the show notes for this episode and listen to other podcasts at CantonRep.com.